0: I don't know about you guys, but the quarantine was not ideal for my eating and my physique when we first got locked down. I took it as a way to pity myself, feel bad. You know, obviously the whole world is going through this, but I took it as, hey, no, it's only me. We're all going to die. So I might as well eat cookies, Chipotle, and pizza. And then you realize, okay, we're going to make it through this. It's going to take some time, but we're going to make it through. Let me not eat like an asshole forever. And luckily, I'm married to someone who constantly reminds me that I'm eating like an asshole. Won't have sex with me if I don't look my very best. That's something I need a therapist about, but also runs a pretty phenomenal nutrition company with Own Your Eating. And she's put together that is Roz my wife some great challenges that you guys can check out if you're like me like you said and you need a little extra accountability you need a kick in the ass you want to just learn a little more you want to do something really cool at your box at your gym at your affiliate you should check these out so if you go over to sugar wad in the marketplace we've got the own your eating store in there and there's three different challenges you can check out if you're a box owner i highly recommend you check out the gym nutrition challenge I think it's only like $169, something like that. And the cool thing about it is if you're a box owner, you can give this to your members as a way to just, hey, I'm giving you a bonus. I'm giving you something. You know, We appreciate that you stuck with us during, your, during the quarantine. We appreciate that you kept your membership active. Or you can even make money. She's had a few gyms that have done really well. At $169, you get 20 people signed up at 20 bucks You've, you've made over $200. So check out the 30 day transformation challenge for gyms. That's a specific one for box owners. And then we've got ones for individuals, the 30 day transformation challenge, as well as the 30 day get lean challenge. And, and with both of those, you're going to get programming, you're going to get daily information, daily accountability, and so much more. The transformation challenge is really for those that are either new to tracking macros and flexible eating. Or maybe you've done it in the past and you want to get dialed back in like I needed. And of course, accountability goes a long way. It's something I preach as far as a coach. I have coaches for many aspects of my life. And the primary reason is I just need that accountability. Hey, did you do what I told you to do? Hey, don't forget you said you do this, right? It's just a reminder in the back of my head when I'm about to mess up that I got someone out there that's relying on me doing well and going to remind me about it. And then there's the 30-day get lean. This is more for the experienced people. Maybe you've tracked macros in the past. You have a good understanding of nutrition, but you're ready to take it to the next level. Maybe you've plateaued. You're ready for reverse dieting, or you just need some extra coaching out there. So you can check these all out on SugarWad. The link is in the show notes. But if you go to SugarWad, you go to the marketplace, you look up when you're eating you're going to see these options. And the cool thing is you can use the code BESTHOUR. You can use the code BESTHOUR and you'll get 10% off any of the options there. So B-E-S-T-H-O-U-R, the code Best Hour will get you 10% off in the Sugar Wad Marketplace. Check it out. Own your eating. Roz's three challenges and she's seen tremendous results. And trust me, if you're working with Roz, I'm going to hear about it. She'll ask me for some feedback as well. So you really get two coaches for the price of one. Check it out. Use the code Best Hour for 10% off. Ready?
1: Oh, all right. What happened to the countdown?
0: <laughs> I don't know. I just hit record.
1: Yeah, you just, you just gunned it. All right. All right, Jay. We're talking Chapter 15 today. Be patiently impatient. Uh, and I know you know a lot about being patiently impatient in writing a book because that's one thing that you have to do when you're writing a book. You have to be patiently impatient. Uh, You really do. Now, you're talking at the the beginning of this chapter about uh, when you opened your gym, Albany Cross for 2007, you knew about coaching, but you had to learn a lot of other skills. And we've talked about this in other chapter talks about how you had to learn how to make a website and manage a website, uh, take photos, upload them, create videos on YouTube and all these other things. But one thing that you never really... Uh, gained a skill on was craftsmanship and being able to build things within your gym and so you had to hire a handyman so let's talk about some of these uh these projects on in the early days what was the first handyman project
0: well the very first project was putting up the pull-up bars okay and i didn't necessarily well i kind of hired chad so i talked about in the book a little bit chad introduced me to crossfit my buddy from Jiu Jitsu. we've spoken about it his wife Angie became a longtime member of the gym as well. And he was very handy. And he helped me kind of basically build these build up my the first rig. It was just piping that we used in phalanges and put it into the wall and you know, then down to the floor. And it was very unstable. So what we didn't realize at first was we thought they were just concrete walls, but we realized they were cinder block. So if you can imagine a cinder block, it's hollow in the middle or it's, you know, empty in the middle. Yeah. So we would be drilling into what we thought was concrete, but then you would get beyond it. You'd and punch it would, it, You'd punch through and it just wouldn't stick. So we, we did that for everything to begin with. And the pull-up bars, I remember there were times where I was literally holding the pull-up bar and pushing it into the wall, like if someone was on it like worried that it was going to fly out of the wall with them kipping. Um, You know, and this is before kipping was, people were kipping, but before the butterfly kipping, people were doing these ginormous kips. So the pull up bars did not last and we had to really reinvent how we put things in. But, you know, that was the first project. And then other little things like, um, you know, building shelving units and and that kind of stuff. But the big first project was what we talked about earlier, that muscle-up contraption that we had built.
1: And this is in the days before Rogue Fitness, again, Faster and other equipment companies, right?
0: Yeah, this was, Rogue was just starting. I, I've told the story about how I was Rogue's like second or third customer ever when I bought those rings that didn't work for me on the muscle ups. So that was, that was, oh, me. Yeah. I was the, you know, Rogue's first customer. Bill Henniger came up to me at the CrossFit Games and, you know, asked me about, if I was bodied by Jay back in the day, and I said, yeah, and he was like, you're our first customer, so I bought those rings, and then slowly, they started to grow, but it was it was years before they were building enough equipment, and, and building rigs, after that pull-up contraption, the next thing we did, I don't even remember where we bought them, I'd have to think about it, was basically these, you remember the, um, what? Would, what would you call them, James, they were like,
1: The wall holders.
0: No, no, no. Remember before that? They were they were brackets. That's what they were, brackets, and then the piping ran through the middle of the bracket.
1: Oh, for the pull up bar? Yeah. Yeah, I don't even know what those are called.
0: (laughs) So they're basically if you're listening like brackets and you had to space them like every four to five feet, you know, for pull up space. You can go a little further and have two people on a space, but that wasn't really recommended. And then you would run the piping through it and Oh man. Remember we had to get piping cut. Then you, you know, it's still, we had the same issue with screwing it into the wall, but yeah, I'm sure some old videos can, can show those. The The benefit of those were no floor space used.
1: Yeah. Isn't it funny how back in the day we were doing pull-ups on literally like, you know, it's like metal piping that could be in your wall. And now today we have all these fancy pull-up bars and everyone's very particular on what they can do their pull-ups on and you have to have Which the grip and all that stuff yeah i i can only do pull-ups on a spiel bar i can't go on the regular bar but back in the day it was this is pvc pipe. this is metal pvc or metal just plumbing piping
0: yeah and i remember there were certain areas not done purposely but that we like got the thickest pvc that would fit through the hole and like literally had to hammer it through and then other areas where it was a little thinner and people would then fight over you know, which one they got, the thicker or the thinner one. But man, and then, so you'd have to imagine it again, I'll, I'll post a, a video, but the, the piping ran through and then there was a screw in each bracket and you would tighten that screw up. But those would sometimes come loose. Yeah. And I know on more than one occasion, the screws came loose and while people were going, the bar actually turned. And I'm pretty sure people fell off the pull-up bars.
1: Yep, more than likely. But thus is the early days of CrossFit equipment and figuring things out. You know, I remember those prowlers, the the original prowlers. That I, I think there was a guy in town. It was a welder, right?
0: Yeah. So Bo, that was Bo. He was a member of the gym and he was a welder. And he just kind of saw online that people were using prowlers. He's like, I could probably build one of those. And he built this one, and then I think he built maybe a second. And then we had a competition. I was like, hey, can you build eight of these? And then he built them, you know, and then we had them at the gym and we used them all the time. And much like the pull up bars, like those prowlers were not built completely evenly. No. You know, so whether the foot pegs were perfect or the weight was. So then when we threw them in a competition, we actually used those prowlers in a regional competition that qualified people to the CrossFit games. And to this day, almost ten years later, I get, you know, hate mail—not real hate mail—but you know, <laughs> buddies that are like, "I would have made it to the CrossFit game if not for those damn prowlers."
1: Some of those prowlers still still exist. Uh, I, I know we sold one to Dyke, or maybe two of them. So I last time I was at his gym, I saw one of those old prowlers, and I can't remember who else bought some of the other ones.
0: It's, it's funny—they were—they were solid. They were built to last.
1: Yeah, that those. The, when uh, when the apocalypse happened, there'll be roaches, twinkies, and those prowlers will be left well, after.
0: <laughs> you know, and for reference, you know, and I'll put a video of those prowlers as well. But you know, you buy a great prowler from Rogue and I recommend it. They have some good stuff. You have to load it up to make it heavy. These prowlers alone started heavy. Started heavy. I mean, I think the workout that we used to do was the empty prowler lap around the parking lot. And yeah. so the, you know, we used to refer to it as an island. There's basically the Albany Crossley parking lot. There was an island of grass in the middle that kind of split the parking lot into two halves. And around it was, a, we, we used to say it was 200 meters. I don't know if we truly ever measured it.
1: If, if you stay perfectly centered in the lane, that'll be as close as you're going to get.
0: So, but the, the challenge was always who can go the fastest empty prowler and it would just destroy people. Destroy yeah, you'd, people. You'd get
1: that prowler flu.
0: Oh, man, I remember um, some great videos of Kevin and and Gene doing it. Um, But I'll I'll definitely include some videos of those prowlers in in, in the uh, notes section of today's episode.
1: And the fun part about it is that they were all multicolored, too. We had some green ones, some red ones, some blue ones, some orange ones. And people had their favorites. You know, you you can only push the blue one. You can't push the green one.
0: Again, because you would think that there was a difference. Yeah, I mean, and yeah. there was, but you would like really cling on to a certain one.
1: Yeah. So, being patiently impatient, uh, a lot goes into being patient when you're waiting for this stuff to be made. Because you say, "Hey, uh, I, Bo, I want prowlers," and but you want them tomorrow. You know, it's not like you're ordering them off of a the website; they're already built. You just have to wait for them to be shipped to you. You have to actually wait for him to design it and put it together and then bring it to you same thing with uh building the desk you talk about how you hired a handyman to build a desk for the gym in the hallway there and that took a little bit longer than other projects and you started to become a little impatient with the handyman um you think that's just from lacking the perspective uh and understanding of what goes into making something like that
0: well that's a good question actually because i am one of my biggest—I wouldn't call it a regret—but if I could, not if I could, because I suppose I could. But I'd like to be more handy, right? You know, I've owned homes, and I'm not very handy. I'm at the point where I can change a light bulb, find you know, find a blown fuse, that type of thing, but not really build anything. And I think it's a great skill to have. So certainly, part of it is probably not understanding the the, the um, what I can equate that to these days for people listening is video editing. So. As I've owned multiple businesses, you know, and even for the gym, if you look at some of those old videos, I edited them. And now you see some of this great video editing. But the issue is people think, you know, the, the, the shooting of the footage is the hard part. When in reality, it's, you no, know, the camera guy has to go home and watch hours of footage, figure out what they like, clean it up. And I think we don't understand how challenging that is. And I've kind of learned that over the years.
1: And you have to, you know, once you edit it or you go to save it or export it, you have to wait for this giant file to load. Then you have to actually upload it to YouTube. So you're like loading this giant video like twice. And sometimes it takes like 30 minutes.
0: Oh, if, yeah, if not longer. I mean, the episodes we have of dropping in when we we're on the box tour, our video guy be like, all right, I'm going to export I'm like, cool, hit me up when it's ready in a couple minutes. And he's like, no, 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 this is going to take hours. Because the higher that resolution, the longer it takes. And so point is, I think a lot of times, like the question you asked, when you don't have a good understanding of it, you don't realize just how hard it was. Now, in addition to that, I will tell you a lot of these early days, people were just helping out. So while we may have paid for, you know, the the equipment and, and what Bo needed to build the prowlers or for Chad to, you know, we might've bought the PVC. A lot of the times it was just people volunteering. Like people just, when you find something you're passionate about in this way to, you know, spend your time and something unique and you haven't really had an opportunity to be a part of in a long time, people just want to be a part of it and, and they're willing to volunteer their time for it. And so they're doing something out of the kindness of their heart. And here I am meanwhile being mad that it's not getting done fast enough.
1: Now, when you have these volunteers come in to help you out with the project, you know, like, do you recommend box owners, like, you know, like, like buy everybody coffee, take everyone out for lunch, like, how do you take care of volunteers to make sure that they're happy, they don't feel like they're getting taken advantage of, and they keep coming back?
0: Well, this day and age, I'm a big proponent of make sure you're just paying people, you know, make sure they're getting paid, and and if if it's either, you know, sometimes you have people that just don't want to get paid, they just really want to be a part of it, like for example the what i think i've told this story before but one of the last times we we painted the when we expanded to that fifth room and we actually painted the upstairs hallway as well as the rooms and people were just showing up all all throughout the day it was just like a supply of pizza or we would do beer or we do a party but yeah you got to make sure it's at least fun for those people
1: yeah you got to got to keep them motivated let them know that they're they're appreciated and a part of the gym you know not just someone who's helping out and and no one notices maybe even a shout out on the newsletter or in class
0: that's exactly what i was going to say maybe a shout out you know on your instagram you know thanks to Teresa for coming in and painting or you know thanks to to john for you know building this for us like making sure that they're they're getting um you know the 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 credit and adulation that they deserve
1: yeah now if not for, ev- not for every project are you know, volunteers going to work. You know, you're going to have to possibly outsource to an actual handy person who can you know, do the, the, the knocking down of a wall or putting in a floor the right way. Uh, so how do you go into hiring the right person? You know, There's a lot of people out there, and everyone's got a guy, you know, but sometimes the guy doesn't always work out. How do you find the right guy or lady that can do this work for you, and what kind of things are you looking for in a contract with that person? Well,
0: well, at and, and the beginning, it was really just my friends. And then it became, I, I remember the welder, for example, I think I just looked up on Craigslist, like it was when Craigslist first came out. And I found somebody willing to build there, you know, 2007. And then after that, it truly just became word of mouth and in house. One thing I, and I've said this numerous times in these interviews, I've always tried to keep the jobs I can manage inside the gym as best I can, you know, so be it um, you know, obviously the coaching staff, but even, you know, the chiropractors and massage therapists, we would recommend, would always, I would always try to support our community. And, you know, when you have a community as big as 500, chances are, you're going to have a carpenter in there. You're going to have a plumber in there. Now, make sure, here's the one thing I would say, if you're listening, you're like, oh, that's a great idea. It may end some relationships. So, you know, like you asked, what, what would you put in the contract? Well. I would have one. Chances are back then I didn't really have contracts. It was like handshakes and that's, that's yeah. not ideal.
1: Yeah. That, with a handshake, you know, it's your friends, but you want them to also to take you seriously and to take the job seriously. And you don't want things to get delayed or if something breaks after the fact, who's, who's responsible for that, you know, so it's always good to have things be a, a official and that's just for, to protect you and them.
0: Yeah. Once, Once the gym got big enough, we started to do contracts and then really taking things seriously because at that point, it's like, hey, we need this done. But, you know, back in the day, like you said, it was like, sure, we want eight prowlers. Get them to us when you're ready versus we're knocking down a wall. We can't be closed for a month.
1: Yeah. And that I mean, let's talk about that. That was the the giant expansion started off in one racquetball court, took over another one went next door, knocked down a wall. Now um, I'm assuming in the text here, when you're talking about knocking down the wall, you're talking about the double, right? The first, first wall to go down.
0: Correct. So the very first wall we knocked down was, if you look at the old videos, there was a room that was like, uh, what color was that? I think it was blue. Did we paint the wall blue in the first room? And then the second room was also blue. And um, we always used to joke that you know, Kevin and I remember the color of that blue was actually called nostalgia. And then the yellow was called sunshine. You know, when you're picking out colors at like home Depot, there's very unique names. So yeah, we knocked down that wall and, um, you know, we we found someone again through word of mouth on that and, you know, just started knocking down the wall, didn't get anything approved through the town, which I would highly recommend you do that kind of stuff as well. And, um, And that was the first real, that was the first real deal of construction that went down.
1: So what, how did, let's talk about that. Like, how did this all go down first? Uh, What did you say to Shy? Like, hey, I want to, I want to knock down this wall and this room can never again be reconverted to a racquetball court. Like, like, what was his response? What did you say? How'd you pull that one off?
0: So that was actually the first time that we had a contract in place for the rent. Mm-hmm. Um, with, with prior to that we just kind of had a handshake it was always just you know you're paying on monthly and here's the rate when you have one room when you have two rooms it went up when you had a third room it went up again but now that you're knocking down a wall I remember we had to actually have a sit down with Shai and his brother Amir and say okay now we need a contract and we need to figure out because if if you leave at this point we've got this room that's no longer usable.
1: Yeah. You're, you're taking away two courts and that's going to be something difficult for them to come back from.
0: Yeah. And, and you know in that contract, it was, you know, if we stayed long enough that it was just covered, if we left at a certain point in time, we had to pay to build the wall back up. Um, so there was, you know, a whole bunch of stuff like that in the contract itself.
1: Okay. And that, that makes perfect sense. So that, and that's probably a more agreeable arrangement between you and shy and Amir, versus uh, going to the town Colony to get anything done because they're very difficult. Can you explain those early growing pains with them?
0: So whenever you're doing construction, even at your house, I guess by law and technically you're supposed to go to the town and, and file for papers, you know, get approval to do it. Um, you know, putting up a fence, Hey, you know, you have to probably get the color of the fence and the, with and all the height and all that stuff and bring it to the town propose it and then they approve it. I didn't know any of that. Now, even more important at a at a business, even more important when the wall you're deciding to knock down is a structural wall.
1: Yeah, it's holding up part of the building.
0: So <laughs> <laughs> so we we get this guy to knock the wall down and I believe he was just a member of the court club. He was actually. Um, he was a member of the core club. He's the same guy that wound we'll up paving the outside, and he had done some work around the gym. So we're doing this work, and I don't think we've ever discussed this. The core club members hate the CrossFit members. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that still goes on.
1: It's the 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 war has died down, but there's still some some uh, some some evil eyes in the hallway.
0: And we can have an entire. Chat about that, but basically, you know, these old men and and some women play racquetball. You know, there was at the height of all at the height of the court club, there was eighteen courts. At some point, they converted six of those courts to squash courts. So now we have twelve racquetball slash handball courts because you play this two sports on the same court and six squash courts. The squash courts slowly got changed. One became a spin room. One became a cardio room. One became a rock climbing room. The racquetball court still existed. And then when I started doing CrossFit there, you know, they went from 12 to 11 to 10 to nine to eventually there's only seven now. But so they, A, did like us because we were encroaching on their territory. Meanwhile, they were never full. You know, they were always empty. I mean, it's a dying sport, racquetball and handball. And let me tell you, they're both phenomenal sports. Handball is an amazing sport. I highly recommend people checking it out. Not many sports that you have to learn to use both sides of your body like that. Super, you know, talk about balance, accuracy, you know, agility and coordination, handball has it all. But anyway, between us taking the courts, loud music, you know, more people in the hallways, they just didn't like us. So long way to get to the point. When we started knocking down the wall, there was a rat. I don't know who it was, but they went to the town and they let them know that we were doing construction.
1: Really? There someone... Someone that uh, was, there's a whistleblower.
0: There was a whistleblower. Now, luckily for me, another member of the court club who was very high up at the town in that you know area, like, you know, development or whatever the title he had was, was one of the few people that I had a very good relationship with. I mean, I had been in the core club since 2000. I knew a lot of these people. Some of them I was still very close with and a handful of the miserable, you know, f's if you will just no matter what didn't like me and and not so much they didn't like me they didn't like the core club i mean the the crossfit members meanwhile as you know james crossfit is what was keeping the core club alive you know like
1: it's bringing in fresh faces new people and over the years a lot of people have tried racquetball and handball from the crossfit side of things
0: yeah you know it's like i don't you know there's there's probably some cliche expression it's like they're biting the hand that feeds them if you will it's like I get that you don't like us, but we're the reason you're able to still play this sport because we're the one paying the bills here. You know? Um, you know, my rent at the time was substantial and it was more than, t- you know, so when I would argue with Shy, I'd be like, Shy, you're listening to one member complain who pays you, you know, 50 bucks a month. We, meanwhile, I'm paying you thousands of dollars a month in rent. You got to take my side. So anyway, this guy helps us out and he's like, look, all you need to do is file an application. As long as you file that application, they're fine. So going forward, I learned that, hey, just file the application. They want their you know, $250 application fee or whatever it costs, and I was good to go. I'm not so, going to give that guy's name out, but I was very grateful for him.
1: So that, that's, um, that's probably a good piece of advice for any gym owners listening who are thinking about expanding or adding or some construction project to their gym, whether it be a new bathroom or office. Is just file the paperwork and do it in in advance, probably.
0: Do it in advance, follow the paperwork. Obviously, if you can, you know, follow up on it, that would be ideal. I don't think the way I did it was perfect, but I at least got the job done. What you don't want is, you know, for the for the town to come over and be like, "Hey, you can't knock that wall down. We're putting a halt on it, and now your gym is closed for an extended period of time." Or, or worse yet, you know, them coming over and saying, "Hey, you didn't ask for approval of that. You got to go back and and fix it." and Neither of those scenarios happened, and I don't think they would, but ideally, you'd prevent that.
1: Yeah, that that way, you know, you don't have to wait too much longer for this project that you want to be done yesterday. Uh, And when you're thinking about expanding your gym, you know, let's talk more for advice on to the the box owner here. One, how do you budget in the long term to eventually be able to expand? And um, also, how do you know when it's time?
0: That's you know, the 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 budget, it's kinda like, hey, you gotta have money in the bank and you gotta know how much it's gonna cost, et cetera. You know, be smart about it. But but more so along with that budget, the the follow-up that you asked about time, that's really more important than people think. And I, and I'll and I'll go back and I mean we were in a unique scenario because of the layout of the court club. So basically you have to imagine, you know, we went from one court to five, but it wasn't like we had this huge you know, a, a racquetball court is 20 feet wide by 40 feet long by, um, I believe, another 40 feet high. So, you know, there's this big open box, but it wasn't like we have five in a row where it's just massive. We had three, but there's a hallway separating the other two. So the expansion kind of happened, but it wasn't necessarily ideal because this is what I would tell people you have to really evaluate why, why you're expanding. So consider this, we have 200 members and we're like, wow, these classes are crowded. However, remember, a lot of the reason it was crowded was because these people were doing their own programming back in the day. So it's like these turds, if you will, let's call them turds just to have a reference, right. Are, are taking up space. So meanwhile, I'm like, Oh shit, we need to expand. But now I'm expanding because of these people that weren't really abiding by the the rules in the community of Albany CrossFit. Is that my explaining yeah. that well, James? Yeah. Versus
1: more economical to get them either on the same program and coming to classes or just kick them out of the gym and now you yeah, have to expand. That
0: that's my point. There's a there's a point in time where it's actually and we talked about this with raising rates, but where it's actually better for you to lose those people. So say say it's 10 people and they're paying you Uh, let's just use even numbers. They're paying you a hundred dollars a month. That's a thousand dollars a month. Well, to expand, it's going to cost me $10,000. And then my rent goes up $2,000. So to accommodate those 10 turds, it's actually costing me 10,000 plus an additional 2000 a month. I'm actually losing money by keeping you guys.
1: Yeah. And and I mean, it's, I, I can see how it's hard for many gym owners because even though those members might be quote unquote, some of your worst members, they're not involved in the community. They don't come to events. They're trying to do their own, own thing. Maybe they even talk, you know, um, behind other people's backs in the hallway, all kinds of that, all kinds of stuff. People still are friends with them. So how do, how do you deal with, with that aspect of it on, um, okay, you're willing to lose those 10 people or those five people, however many it is, but then other people who aren't involved in the situation might be unhappy because they're not there anymore.
0: Yeah. I mean, now we're diving deep into the weeds on that. I mean, I think ultimately if I can go back and do anything different at Albany CrossFit, it would be try to prevent those cliques from forming the people that would follow different pro and, and I've talked about it. I was guilty of it myself, so I don't blame anybody, but I definitely look back and realize, Hey, had that not happened, I might not have expanded. It would have. And again, the layout of the gym plays a big role. We had a very unique uh, layout there, but maybe it's whether or not you move to a bigger space. You know, maybe it's, it's, if I can keep everybody coming to class and not need that auxiliary space in the corner, I can make classes bigger and I can actually save myself money, keep everybody here.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you and I have talked about this before too. This is not something that we did in the past, but it almost seems like open gym should be, a more expensive membership, like uh, even though you're not getting coaching, but you're coming in as many times as you want, you're using all the equipment you're doing your own programming, you're potentially taking away from community. Do you think that should be a premium membership like you're you're going to pay more than than the other people?
0: It's not more, definitely the same. I know a lot of people kind of drop the price on that open gym, but it's yeah. floor space. you know the most valuable thing you have at your box other than your coaching staff is that floor space you know. Barbells are cheap at the end of the day. Dumbbells, bumper plates, you know, another spot on the rig. Equipment is is cheap at the end of the day. It's it's, do you have the space on the floor to use that equipment? You know, because if you can only accommodate 12 people and someone's doing open gym in the corner, now you can only accommodate 10 and they're going to be upset. And not to mention, and I don't want to go much further down this rabbit hole, but the people that want to do that are typically the worst members at your gym.
1: Yeah. I, I,
0: say
1: I worse. don't, yeah, for, they're not bad people. They're just, they're just not on board with everybody else. Like, like everyone else is on the same track, same mindset. We're coming to class. We're trying to be better a little bit every day. We have a coaching staff to here to su- support you. Uh, this is what we're working on today. This is all you need for today to get better. And meanwhile, the other people are like, yeah, but I want to sit around and do five workouts and do them all kind of half-assed. And then I'm going to blame you for not making any
0: progress. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. You know, those listening know who we're talking about.
1: So back to expanding. So uh, you have to uh, uh, calculate the budget on like, why is the reason behind the expansion? Is it warranted in the first place? And you figure out, okay, uh, you're not having the open gym problem. You are having an influx of members come into the gym and you do need to expand. What What's the first step?
0: You know, just finding out if it's possible. You know, we had concrete walls, like we talked about, you know, then going, you know, and finding out it, it, not only is it possible, but is it going to be allowed in our lease? And what are the ramifications of that? You know, like I said, we went from a handshake deal to now we have a signed lease and certain amount of time. And
1: Should you sit down with a lawyer, just someone to put a different perspective on it and think about the long term?
0: If, if- if you can afford a lawyer, it's never a bad idea to sit down with that lawyer. When, you, If you're ever thinking to yourself, should I be talking to an attorney? Yes, you should. Yes. Right? <laughs> so yeah, I probably should have. I, I'm still very much this way to a fault where I'm just like, you want to do it? I'll do it. Let's handshake and go. You know, and, and, and I've talked about that's a bad thing, you know, and we'll talk about it in future episodes, you know, where, where it really bit me in the ass. But I've learned, hey, at least get stuff written down in black and white, even if it's just the two people involved writing a contract. But yeah, if you can get an attorney involved, and I heard an attorney recently tell me this and he said, it well, Like, if you're making a contract, the goal is that you put it in your desk, you never look at it again. But should you need it, it's there.
1: It's that safety net that you're building. It's exactly. a nice backup. So you've made these expansions. You've knocked down one wall. We have a double now let's flash forward a couple of years later, you're knocking down, was it, it, was one more wall to make a triple, right? Or was it two walls?
0: I believe we went, um, we went from the double, we made another double across the hallway and then eventually we did the triple,
1: the triple. Yeah. The triple was late 2000, winter, 2011, 2012, right there, right before the tri-state throwdown. Remember that? Yeah. It-
0: yeah, that was the one we talked about recently with Tominsky, where he did the um, the continental clean.
1: Yep, yep, that was it.
0: So, and, and we'll, keep in mind when we say double or triple, what we're referring to is the number of racquetball courts in, in that room. So the double was two two racquetball courts next to each other, and the triple was three.
1: Yeah. What was? Am what I was am three? I right
0: about that order? Did we go double on the? on the left side and then I I want,
1: I want to say thinking back on it, I want to say there was single, single. So two single courts on the left-hand side of the hall on the right-hand side of the hall, there was the double. And then I almost want to say it went straight into a triple because I finished my internship in August of 2011. And when I came back for fall face-off that, that, that October, it was still a double and two singles then when i came back for the tri-state throwdown in february it was a triple
0: all right All right. i believe you i believe yeah. you so, yeah so we had the double was the original room in the second room two singles on the left hand side there or whichever depending on what side you're looking at and yeah. then and then the and then the double became a triple
1: definitely what what yeah. was the what was the difference in the two projects go, uh making the first double versus making the, uh, the, the triple, it seems like the triple went a lot smoother. You'd learned some lessons. You had a different contractor probably had actual contracts with that person installed because uh, there was an issue with the double where you had to fire, um, the person that was doing that. Right.
0: Well, yeah. So, you know, one thing I've learned about contractors is they're very keen on starting a project, collecting their money, but then starting the next project. So there were so many days where it's like, oh, I'll be there. They weren't there. And meanwhile, you know, at this point, the gym is basically closed. You know, there's dust everywhere. When you're knocking down a concrete wall, it's dirty. There's dust everywhere. So we were trying to, you know, the goal was to get it done within a week. So we're trying to run workouts outside. We're trying to accommodate everybody, you know, you know? and then especially as we went to the bigger expansions, like for, we have more and more people. I can't get these people upset. You know, my mentality also was other boxes were opening, and my thought was, well, if they're not going to come here, they're going to go somewhere else. So it was really just important to make sure that we had a contract in place, that we knew the expectations, and then we also, you know, hired a, a real, real deal contractor versus some guy that kind of does it on the side.
1: Yeah, and that make getting the triple done was it's a massive project, and if you think about it. Fall fall face-off was probably, uh, actually, I think it was on Halloween. because I remember being there for the Halloween party right right after. So it was right around end of the month, October. Uh, And then maybe you guys started the triple project November at some point, or maybe even December, and it was done by early February. And so that's two walls knocked down. All the equipment pulled out mats, moving mats out of a room, those horse stall mats, is the most pain in the ass job ever Those,
0: yeah, and getting it all was...
1: painted and ready for a major competition as well.
0: And one other thing you're forgetting, we reinforce the floors.
1: Yeah, that too.
0: So people don't, you know, we didn't realize, nor did the owner of the building realize the wood floors were basically fake floors. And then underneath the wood, it was like a one foot drop to concrete. So we were destroying the floors with bumper plates, you know, over the years. And then we realized, all right, we need to reinforce these. Because there were, there were literally spots in the room where they were like uh, booby traps.
1: Yeah, you like if roll you're... your ankle or, or sink down a couple inches.
0: Yeah, because the floor was broken underneath, you know, a one-inch horse stall mat. So we reinforced and put down, you know, plywood over the entire floor. It was a huge undertaking.
1: Yeah, and now those floors are gone. We're all the way down to the concrete now.
0: Did you guys do that?
1: Yeah, in both rooms. We ripped up the whole floor, had to take down the rig, everything.
0: So, I mean, that would have been the smarter way. Keep in mind, I didn't do that at the time because, you know, we still had that contract where, like, hey, if I leave, this needs to get converted back. So it was easier to pull up the 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 plywood and fix, fix the flooring than, you know, put all new flooring in. But now the... You know, the owner of the building owns the CrossFit and makes more sense.
1: Yeah. And plus, you would have had to put in uh, ramps to go into the room. Like, we have a concrete ramp that goes from the hallway into the double. Or, the, excuse me, into the triple. And um, and now we have but, that
0: garage door, too. Because it is, goes down. Yeah, it goes down. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah, and you, so, that garage door is badass. I'm so jealous that that's up now. Oh, yeah.
1: like Well, I mean, so, uh, anyone who comes to the gym now, they see that garage door it's funny how few people remember or the people have been around forget we used to have to take everything through that side door so there's like there's not a lot of space to just take 20 rowers outside all the barbells and we would do it and finish class on time i don't know how we we got it all done
0: timelines timelines yeah. uh yeah i mean when you live in an area like upstate new york and you know you get a handful of months of beautiful weather it's great to have that outdoor opportunity we used to work out i remember when spring would roll around we would just force any workout we can outdoors you know even if it was not ideal and required seven pieces of equipment we would just go outdoors because it was so beautiful
1: oh yeah they'd be like all right we're going to do a quick warm up and we're going to spend the next 20 minutes bringing all 20 rowers out all the kettlebells you're going to we're going to roll the bumper plates out we're going to get the barbells out there build all the barbells we still got to do a barbell warm up, and then we're gonna do this thirty minute mekhon.
0: Exactly. exactly. It was all
1: it was all worth it, and then we're gonna bring it all. Well, we got smart. We're not gonna bring it all back inside, you know.
0: Right. They'll, they'll, the eight thirty class could handle
1: that. Yeah, that was the worst part about being the the, the last class of the day. So we had to put it all back. And
0: anyway. that's where,
1: if you're the last coach of the day, don't let them leave. Be like, hold on, hold on. Okay. I need everyone to grab a, a rower piece.
0: Okay, I'll ask you a question. What's the worst piece of equipment to have to move around?
1: The worst piece of equipment—a broken weight stack.
0: <laughs> All right, that's that's you. That's um, a unique answer. You mean we've like we got oh, one
1: one forty-five pound weight stack? Yeah, the wheels. Like those first weight stacks that we bought, they were like a, a it was a solid square metal that had the the like like little like cart wheels on the bottom.
0: Yeah,
1: and later on we got different ones from Rogue, where it was like a cross. And it's just better technology, I guess, to roll it. And it had bigger wheels. But this one, people would drop the plates from the top of the little little pole there. And it would hit the base. And every time you do that, you slowly bend the wheels. And then eventually, someone would get it out to the middle of the room. And like, oh, I'm going to go push this back. And it's filled with 45s. And it just doesn't budge because that one wheel is stuck. And then it starts spinning around in circles. And then <laughs> and then the worst part is when you eventually, like, you tip it over because you're pushing from too high up on the stack. And then you have 45-pound plates all over the place.
0: Yeah, it's like a stubborn dog. Like, I'm not moving.
1: Yeah, I, oh. I would say that or uh, sometimes the uh, assault bikes are a pain in the ass.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would, I would give a, a little tip and trick out there. It's like, if you're going to get those racks, go buy those bigger wheels and throw those on the bottom. But I was going to – my answer would have been a three-sided wooden box.
1: Three-sided wooden box. Yeah, I could see that.
0: Just heavy, cumbersome, like no easy way to carry it. And when you had to go out a narrow doorway like we had, you're just always smashing your knuckles into the side of the wall.
1: Yep, that. Um, the, I, remember, I remember I used to have to get stuck putting away all of the metal oh. squat racks. And oh, we yeah. had, and we so had no – so we had no room – to put them anywhere. So they would normally be stored in the back storage room that's down the hall. So the wad, the wad space is about, I want to say maybe like 75 feet from the men's locker room door. And the men's locker room door is, has a heavy door. So it closes as soon as you let go, because of course you don't want the door being left open. There's naked old men running all over. Right. Right. Oh, so so you'd have to carry down the middle old school uh, squat rack down there and then kick open the door and and canter lever around the corner and then get it back into the the storage room. And then that was number one, and there were at least, like, 15 of them. So that was just, like, a job, a a whole deal in itself.
0: This this is very reminiscent of, like, everybody has that kind of period of their life where only a handful of people understand the pain they went through. Yeah. Like, it's like, other than the head coaches, no one knows what we're talking about right now. But just understand, it was a pain in the ass, yes. And yeah, ultimately, was- we wound up, you know, putting in a rig to get rid of some of those troubles. But when you're when you have a startup, it's like you're just trying to save money, and sometimes it takes more work to save that money. And you know, back in the day of CrossFit, there wasn't this. You know, I was on eBay ordering from Christian's Fitness Factory; those little, you know, squat racks over a hundred bucks each, but they they got the job done.
1: Yeah. The, the only other thing that was more painful than what I've already mentioned would be uh, moving a GHD. Those are just big and cumbersome and awkward, and the wheels are way too small still, so you have to, you have to prop it up really high. And when you're a shorter individual, it's a yes. pain that he has. That's a two-person job. Yeah, definitely. A two-person job that's typically done by one person. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever's stuck at the end of the night when they're all left out. Exactly. So we, we've gone through the expansion. What, what's a good homework assignment, do you think, for the box owner on being patiently impatient?
0: You know, I, th- I think when I, when I own the box, and even to this day, it's like when you think of something, you want it done immediately. It's like you've talked about it already. Like, hey, we have an idea. Cool, let's implement it Tuesday. And recently we talked about killing ideas. But I think it's important to also look at ideas that we want to grow, that we want to happen, and be patient about how long it's going to take, but impatient in the fact that it can't be delayed, it can't be, you know, prolonged because of your contract or because of, you know, any other outside interference. So laying out a solid timeline for when you're implementing something new, but challenging yourself to get it done, but also making it realistic.
1: And I think the same thing can be applied The same philosophy can be applied uh, from a coaching standpoint uh, to athletes. You know, like, like you're trying, someone wants to learn to snatch and you're trying to teach them to snatch and you want them to have it right away. You want them to be able to get the PRs right away and they maybe want it too, but you're both going to have to be patiently impatient about it. Some... Yeah, there
0: are, There are numerous times in in your everyday life where you just have to look at something and think, all right, this isn't going to happen tomorrow. I want it to, you know, I need to take a deep breath, you know, whether you go back to a previous chapter of the freeze game and, you know, just think about what's happening in that moment, but really just thinking, okay, this is going to happen, but I need to be patient about it.
1: Definitely. Now, speaking of being patient, you mentioned at the end of the chapter that uh, owning a gym taught you how to use a jackhammer a forklift and knock down a wall now were you just saying that you know just figuratively or were you actually on the jackhammer or the forklift
0: i think i was certainly involved with everything i mean i remember taking a sledgehammer to that concrete wall you know and, and that's what happens you know you, you realize okay this is going to take long and I'm, i don't know if you were involved but you know the coaching staff needs to be you a know, throw on a hard hat once in a while and, and get involved. So anything I know how to do around the house, and maybe I sold myself a little short earlier. Like I learned a lot, you know, in owning the gym, but it's everything I learned was from those, those times at the gym where you're just like, this needs to get fixed. You know, this needs to get fixed right away. And, you know, if if I don't do it, I need to hire someone. It's going to take time. It's going to cost money. So just learning how to do some of those things yourself is very important.
1: Yeah, like knowing uh, basic, you know, on changing out the light bulbs, fixing a toilet seat, you know, like something comes off the wall, you have a drill charged in your office that you can drill it back on there. Maybe have some of those steps in place already so that when it does happen, you can just take care of it right away. You don't have to contact someone. Exactly. So Jay, any other thoughts on this chapter?
0: No, I think some things that we touched upon and definitely need to be considered is just as a small business owner, like thinking about, okay, if I am expanding, which can take on numerous avenues, you know, you can, the expansion can be your website. Just think, is it worth it? Is is what I'm about to do, it might seem like the greatest idea, but is the time, the effort, the energy, the money that's going to be spent to make that happen worth what you're going to gain from it? You know, and if you're not sure, you know, really take a long, hard look at it. And like we said, I think a good challenge is just to find something in your life that you're excited about that you want to happen, but realizing, Hey, it's going to happen. You just need to be patient about it. And, and patience is something, you know, there's that, you know, expression, patience is a virtue. And it's, it's, it's been, that expression has been around for centuries because it's true. That's one thing I've really tried to learn, like, especially in entrepreneurship, you know, it doesn't have to happen tomorrow. There's always going to be more to do. There's always going to be new projects to, to work on, but take a deep breath and know that it'll get done. You just have to be patient.
1: And it'd probably be a good idea to have some kind of like a year to year or five year plan for your business too. Okay. And and different situations within that. What what does happen when we get to 200 members? What happens when we get to 300 members? What are we going to do?
0: Yeah, that's great. Because, we, you know, we can only expand the schedule so much. Because even if we have a class every hour that, you know, 1 p.m. and 2 p.m. classes are going to be quiet. So, doesn't matter that we have 50 people in these other times, we need to figure out how we're gonna expand. And sometimes rather than expanding, the better answer might be increase your rates. You know, So just taking a long, hard look at that, having a plan for growth, but then also being smart about it and not just assuming, hey, we're bigger, we need more space.
1: Yeah, and if there's any gym owners listening right now and they're kind of in that in-between phase and they're not sure, they could just reach out to you, right?
0: Sure. Any gym owner can reach out to me, you know, anytime for real. I always like hearing from you guys best hour of their day at gmail.com is the best email for that. But yeah, if you have any questions, comments, concerns about box ownership, about things I've done, um, I'm happy to listen. Obviously if you're reaching out because you've listened to this book, you've got some experience because what I try to do these days is when someone has a question for me, either direct them to the book or the podcast because we've answered that. But if you've done that and you have, deeper more specific questions i'm always here for you
1: perfect and if you contact me i'm just going to turn you right back around to contact jay <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're going to cc me on there but um, yeah yeah i mean i know that's not a very specific les- lesson you know and, and the goal of this book was just to really start to take these lessons from business and implement them into your real life so hopefully if you're listening to this and you don't own a box or maybe you don't even coach you're just a member you know think about where you can be more patient is it with your Significant other, you know, do they see? Do they do something that drives you crazy? Is it, you know, with your kids? Is it with your boss? You know, find something in your life where you feel implementing more patience can actually make it an entirely different scenario, and 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 see if that helps. Because awesome, you know, we've all been there. I need this to happen tomorrow, and then when it happens tomorrow, you're like, cool. Now I need this to happen tomorrow, right? So. You're, you're never going to be satisfied.
1: Sometimes you just need to slow down.
0: That's right. Do less better, like we've talked <laughs> yep. about in the past, right? And then be patiently impatient.
1: And then that'll help you be better.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah, going back to Albany Crosser. a lot of brainstorming for that, be better, be in parentheses. Yeah. We'll, th- we'll throw that up there, too. So, <laughs> yeah, another great chapter, James.
1: All right. Well, thank you, Jay, and we'll talk next time.
0: Thanks again for listening to that special episode of Best Hour of Their Day. If you enjoyed, go ahead and download the book. You can check out the audio book, you can check out the paperback, or even the ebook. We place the link right in the show description. So once again, thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your day.